Section eleven of Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great, Volume One, by Albert Hubbard. William E. Gladstone, Part Two. Of all the questions I have named from slavery to divorce, Mr. Gladstone has used the Bible argument. But as the years have gone by, his mind has become liberalized, and on many points where he was before zealous, he is now silent. In 1841, he argued with much skill and ingenuity that Jews were not entitled to full rights of citizenship. But in 1847, acknowledging his error, he took the other side during the war of secession the sympathies of england's chancellor of the exchequer were with the south speaking at newcastle on october ninth eighteen hundred sixty two he said jefferson davis has undoubtedly founded a new nation but five years passed and he publicly confessed that he was wrong here is a man who if he should err deeply is yet so great that like cotton mather he might not hesitate to stand uncovered on the street corners and ask the forgiveness of mankind such men are saved by their enemies their own good and the good of humanity require that their balance of power shall not be too great had the north gone down gladstone might never have seen his mistake in this instance and in many others he has not been the leader of progress but its echo truth has been forced upon him his passionate earnestness his intense volition his insensibility to moral perspective his blindness to the sense of proportion might have led him into dangerous excess and frightful fanatical error if it were not for the fact that such men create an opposition that is their salvation to analyze a character so complex as mr gladstone's requires the grasp of genius we speak of the duality of the human mind but here are half a dozen spirits in one they rule in turn and occasionally several of them struggle for the mastery when the fisk jubilee singers visited england we find gladstone dropping the affairs of state to hear their music he invited them to harden where he sang with them so impressed was he with the negro melodies that he anticipated that idea which has since been materialized the founding of a national school of music that would seek to perfect in a scientific way these soul-stirring strains he might have made a poet of no mean order for his devotion to spiritual and physical beauty has made him a lifelong admirer of homer and dante those who have met him when the mood was upon him have heard him recite by the hour from the iliad in the original and yet the theology of homer belongs to the realm of natural religion with which mr gladstone has little patience a prominent member of the house of commons once said the only two things that the prime minister really cares for are religion and finance that statement comes near truth for the chief element in mr gladstone's character is his devotion to religion and his signal successes have been in the line of economics he believes in free trade as the gospel of social salvation he revels in figures he has price 
value consumption distribution import export fluctuation all at his tongue's end ready to hurl at anyone who ventures on a hasty generalization and it is a significant fact that in his strong appeal for the disestablishment of the irish church the stress of his argument was put on the point that the irish church was not in the line of the apostolic succession mr gladstone is grave sober earnest proud passionate and at times romantic to a rare degree he rebukes refutes contradicts defies and has a magnificent capacity for indignation he will roar at you like a lion his eyes will flash and his clenched fist will shake as he denounces that which he believes to be error and yet among inferiors he will consult defer inquire and show a humility a forced suavity that has given the caricaturist excuse in his home he is gentle amiable always kind social and hospitable he loves deeply and his friends revere him to a point that is but little this side of idolatry and surely their affection is not misplaced some day a plutarch without a plutarch's prejudice will arise and with malice toward none but with charity for all he will write the life of the statesman gladstone over against this he will write the life of an american statesman the name he will choose will be that of one born in a log hut in the forest who was rocked by the foot of a mother whose hands meanwhile were busy at her wheel who had no schooling no wise and influential friends who had few books and little time to read who knew no formal religion who never traveled out of his own country who had no helpmeet but who walked solitary alone a man of sorrows down whose homely furrowed face the tears of pity often ran and yet whose name strange paradox stands in many minds as a symbol of mirth and when the master comes who has the power to portray with absolute fidelity the greatness of these two men will it be to the disadvantage of the american the village of harden is in flintshire north wales it is seven miles from chester i walked the distance one fine june morning out across the battlefield where cromwell's army crushed that of charles and on past old stone walls and stately elms there had been a shower the night before but the morning sun came out bright and warm and made the raindrops glisten like beads as they clung to each leaf and flower larks sang and soared and great flocks of crows called and cawed as they flew lazily across the sky it was a time for silent peace and quiet joy and serene thankfulness for life and health i walked leisurely and in a little over two hours reached harden a cluster of plain stone houses with climbing vines and flowers and gardens which told of homely thrift and simple tastes i went straight to the old stone church which is always open and rested for half an hour listening to the organ on which a young girl was practicing instructed by a white-haired old gentleman the church is dingy and stained inside and out by time the pews are irregular some curiously carved and all stiff and uncomfortable i walked around and read the inscriptions on the walls and all the time the young girl played and the old gentleman beat time and neither noticed my presence one brass tablet I saw was to a woman 
who for long years was a faithful servant at Harden Castle, erected in gratitude by W. E. G. Near this was a memorial to W. H. Gladstone, son of the Premier, who died in 1891. Then there were inscriptions to various Glynns and several others whose names appear in English history. I stood at the reading desk, where the great man has so often read, and marked the spot where William Ewart Gladstone and Catherine Glynn knelt, when they were married here in July, 1839. A short distance from the church is the entrance to Harden Park. This fine property was the inheritance of Mrs. Gladstone. The park itself seems to belong to the public. If Mr. Gladstone were a plain citizen, people, of course, would not come by hundreds and picnic on his preserve. But, serving the state, he and his possessions belong to the people, and this democratic familiarity is rather pleasing than otherwise. So great has been the throng in times past that an iron fence had to be placed about the ivy-covered ruins of the ancient castle to protect it from those who threatened to carry it away by the pocketful. A wall has also been put around the present castle, more properly house. This was done some years ago, I was told, by the butler, after a torchlight procession of a thousand enthusiastic admirers had come down from Liverpool and trampled Mrs. Gladstone's flowers into smithereens. The park contains many hundred acres, and is as beautiful as an English park can be, and this is praise superlative. Flocks of sheep wander over the soft green turf, and beneath the spreading trees are sleek cows which seem used to visitors and with big open eyes come up to be petted. Occasional signs are seen, please spare the trees. Some people suppose that this is an injunction which Mr. Gladstone himself has never observed. But when, in his tree-cutting days, no monarch of the forest was ever felled without its case being fully tried by the entire household. Ruskin, once visiting at Harden, sat as judge, and after listening to the evidence, gave sentence against several trees that were rotten at the core or overshadowing their betters. Then the Prime Minister shouldered his faithful snickersnee and went forth as executioner. I looked in vain for stumps, and on inquiry was told that they were all dug out, and the ground leveled so no trace was left of the offender. The lady of the house at Harden is the second daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Gladstone. All accounts agree that she is a most capable and excellent woman. She is her father's home secretary and confidant, and in his absence takes full charge of the mail and looks after important business affairs. Her husband, the Reverend Harry Drew, is rector of Harden Church. I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Drew, and found him very cordial, and perfectly willing to talk about the great man who is grandfather to his baby. We also talked of America, and I soon surmised that Mr. Drew's ideas of the States were largely derived from a visit to the Wild West show. So I put the question to him direct. Did you see Buffalo Bill? Oh, yes. And did Mr. Gladstone go? Not only once, but three times, and he cheered as loudly as any boy. The Gladstone residence is a great rambling stone structure to which additions have been made from one generation to another. 
the towers and battlements are merely architectural appendiculae but the effects of the whole when viewed from a distance rising out of its wealth of green and backed by the forest is very imposing i entered only the spacious front hallway and one room the library bookshelves and books and more books were everywhere several desks of different designs one an american roll-top as if the owner transacted business at one translated homer at another and wrote social letters from a third then there were several large japanese vases a tiger skin beautiful rugs a few large paintings and in a rack a full dozen axes and twice as many sticks the whole place has an air of easy luxury that speaks of peace and plenty of quiet and rest of gentle thoughts and calm desires as i walked across toward the village the church bell slowly pealed the hour over the distant valley night hovered a streak of white mist trailing like a thin veil marked the passage of the murmuring brook i thought of the grand old man over whose domain i was now treading and my wonder was not that one should live so long and still be vigorous but that a man should live in such an idyllic spot with love and books to keep him company and yet grow old End of William E. Gladstone